the first time we set that boundary, it becomes very uncomfortable, not just for the person we've said no to, but to us. Did you have like fear or anxiety kind of waiting for their reaction or response, kind of like the storm that was going to come after you set that boundary? Did you have to sit with that discomfort of what that was like? Mm -hmm. I hated every second of it. And it lasted for a long time. You thought it, but we said it. I'm Alexis, a certified leadership and life coach. And I'm Sam, a licensed therapist, and we consider ourselves mindset gurus. Perspectively Yours is our platform where we dive headfirst into conversations on topics that can make or break us. We speak to women about the things we often think, but don't say out loud, how we can shift our perspectives around them to build our resilience and normalize our experiences. This is for the woman who wants a full plate and a full cup without burning out. We're bringing our expertise to the table to give you game-changing tips on how to shift your perspective. So let's spill the tea and get started. Hello, hello, my friend. How are we doing today? Oh, good. I got a really good night of sleep last night for the first time in a week, so I'm super pumped about it. How are you? Well, that makes that makes two of us because we slept through the night without any wake-ups. Oh my it's gosh. It's so nice to have non-interrupted sleep. It was a miracle for both of us. That's incredible. I know. You know what? Maybe we're, our lives are just syncing up in general, you know? They must be. <laughs> it's like cycle syncing, but across the country. Yeah. You didn't know. I'm in New Jersey. And Alexis, you are on the West Coast, but are you in Washington or are mm-hmm. you in Oregon? I always Washington. forget. Yeah, I'm in Washington. Washington. I'm okay. pretty like on the West side too. So pretty darn close to the absolute opposite end of the country. So, mm. well, before we get started, I have a really important question to ask you. Okay. How long is your flight to Hawaii? Uh, like five hours. Really? It's still yeah. like five hours. Mm-hmm. Wow. You want to know how long mine is? <laughs> 12. Four, 14? Oh, 12. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We did a nonstop flight for our honeymoon. Well, the reason I'm asking is because we were trying to figure out like when we would go back, maybe mm-hmm. Rob's like five-year anniversary. I said, we may need a little bit more time. <laughs> um, why is expensive? Um, but it's uh, a 12-hour flight. So I was like, mm, I don't know if I can gear up for that again. Yeah. Need it's a time. really, it's a really long flight. And we actually lived in Hawaii for a couple of years. Um, and so we would take that flight from from Hawaii to Seattle all the time. And it's pretty much exactly five hours. So yeah, it's not that far at all. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, we are here today to talk about people pleasing. Um, how do we know we're a people pleaser? How do we stop being a people pleaser? Is it really that easy? <laughs> <laughs> Big life questions right there. Yes, yes. And I don't know if we can answer that in one episode, but we will certainly try. And we're going to share some tidbits of information uh, about people pleasing. So we actually have been taking a look at Psychology Today, which is a reputable website for anyone who wants to check it out. We'll include it in our show notes on the 10 signs that you're a people pleaser. 
And when we were looking through this, I know I was going, hmm, I think I may dabble in some of these from time to time, even being an assertive person, even being a person with boundaries. What do you think about that, Alexis? Yeah, I think as we were talking about it before the episode and we were getting prepped for it, um, I think it can be sneaky. Like we kind of view a people pleaser as a certain type of person, someone who isn't assertive and doesn't have any boundaries at all and just kind of like does what everybody else needs. But you can be an assertive person and still really fall into these people pleasing categories and because a lot of it is about control. So I think when you're an assertive person and you really want to kind of have control over things, it can be, like I said, Trojan people pleasing. Like it just kind of looks, it looks a little <laughs> different than what we would think it is. It's sneaky. Can you give me some like, I, that's a great visual, but like what makes you think Trojan people pleasing? Because I think that we view somebody who is assertive as as not being a people pleaser, but it really comes down to you're assertive about controlling the other people's feelings about you. And so you're like figuring out ways to take on responsibilities, kind of like we talked about, like you take on responsibilities that you know might make the other person feel a certain way or might cause conflict if you have that responsibility on another person and they don't do it and you know it's going to cause conflict, then you just decide, well, I'm just going to take it on anyway because it won't cause it won't cause conflict. It won't cause discomfort for either person if I just take care of this. So I'm just going to do it. So we are starting Sam's therapy session right now is what you just said. <laughs> I didn't have to say that it was you or me. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. Spoiler alert. And I think that's, you know, that's so interesting because I do consider myself a very assertive person. I try to set boundaries. I try to communicate expectations. I try to share my needs, my wants, my feelings, but I definitely struggle with other people feeling uncomfortable. And when someone else is uncomfortable or struggling or having a hard time, the story I tell myself is I don't want them to be uncomfortable. I can handle it. I have the capacity. I will figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I take it on, even if it's something that doesn't fit in or I don't enjoy because I struggle with someone else being upset. And quite honestly, that was one of my struggles as a therapist as well is not being able to fix for somebody else. Yeah. And that's the control aspect of people pleasing too is like I know that I can control and manage the situation to come out in a way that keeps keeps everybody else comfortable except for myself because it sounds like you are then adding more to your plate than necessary or or also just maybe not saying the thing or doing the thing that you know in your heart would like feel the best or like would be the best for you, but you just don't want it to be an uncomfortable experience for the other person, which we don't need to dive into the why behind that because then we would really be getting into a therapy session, I think. But like that is part of that. I kind of want to go through all the 10 signs that you're a people pleaser just so that people can have this in their brains to kind of wonder. 
Um, the first one is that you pretend to agree with everyone. The second is feeling responsible for how other people feel. You apologize often. You feel burdened by the things you have to do. You can't say no. That I think is what we really see as like the person who is a people pleaser is like, they're just the person who never says no. You feel uncomfortable if someone is angry at you. You act like the people around you. So that's kind of that shape-shifting person. You need praise to feel good. You go to great lengths to avoid conflict and you don't admit when your feelings are hurt. And I know for myself, I know we've talked a lot about you and how it how it manifests for you. But for me, like I could have ticked all these boxes five years ago, even three years ago. Like I had no no awareness really that I was a people pleaser and this was causing a lot of problems in my life. So I could say yes to all of those. When did you realize that you were? Like, when did that level of awareness come? I can think of one particular situation where I had said yes to something that I knew deep down I really didn't want to do. And I was still in a period of my life where I I wasn't realizing the level of like trauma and feelings in my body. Like I just didn't have a good awareness around them, but they had become so big that like when then in that situation, I basically exploded. It was just, it was a really interesting experience. And that was the moment when I really realized, wow, I have a lot of things that I need to unpack. And that was when I first started going to therapy. And this was like, I don't know, like six Six or so years ago, I think it was six years ago, but it was the people pleasing because I didn't want to say no. Like I specifically remember thinking about this request and thinking, I, I really don't want to say yes. And also angry that it had even been asked at all, but I didn't feel confident or comfortable with saying no or setting that boundary. And that was when I realized that there was something up there and that I needed to, and it was really affecting my life because then it affected my relationships with those with those people that had made the request. Because if I had just explained, like, I really don't want to do this, um, I don't even need to give a reason, but like, no, actually, I don't think that that's something that I want to do. Um, instead, I did it, was really resentful and ended up in a big explosion of terribleness. <laughs> So that was really when I realized that it was a problem and something that I needed to address. And I feel like in the last three three or so years, I started taking even more action on it within most, if not all, of my relationships. Where, where was it? Which one was it? Acting like the people around you. It's not like I always did that, but I did feel like there was a level of inauthenticity, um, of just being nervous of showing up for exactly who I was. and. Those kinds of things are the things that I've really worked on in the last three years is just like really getting comfortable with who I am and comfortable with like not needing to pretend that I'm any different in order for me to belong in a group. And I think that's interesting that we all have our own kind of key indicator of where we fall into people pleasing and where that state of awareness comes from. Because for me, I would say it's not so much about not being able to be myself in a room, 
but more so the resentment that I started to feel. Like that was my key indicator was that I was feeling resentment. And what I realized or have realized one step at a time is that we teach people how to treat us. And when we don't respect our own boundaries, other people aren't going to respect them because they don't know any better. Yeah. I mean, you've taught them how to treat you. And if I've spent my whole life just saying yes, even though I always wanted to say no and just continued to ignore that feeling of, I don't really want to do this and just doing it anyway, because the most important thing is making sure that everybody else is happy, then it's weird when you say no. Like, Immediately following the situation that I was talking about, there was another request made and I I said no. And it was like within a couple days of that too. And I I said no. And it was also just like not very positively received either. But that started my practice. And then, you know, people started understanding that I was going to start saying no. And they still aren't happy about it. But I mean, I've I've laid the foundation of this is what I do now. I think the first time we set that boundary, it becomes very uncomfortable, not just for the person we've said no to, but to us. Did you have like fear or anxiety kind of waiting for their reaction or response, kind of like the storm that was going to come after you set that boundary? Did you have to sit with that discomfort of what that was like? Mm -hmm. I hated every second of it. And it lasted for a long time. And it's not like it was a it was a, I set the boundary and then they responded and then I could move on with my life. It was like days and days and days of that sick feeling in your stomach, worried about what they're thinking about you. Like it was intense and it still is. It's still intense. Every time that I set a boundary, particularly with certain people, I still feel that sick feeling because I've had so much. I mean, this is like also a like i i know what the response is typically going to be because it's you know a long term relationship and so i can kind of guess like how it's going to go or like how people who say no are viewed and so i like i hate that i don't like people thinking negatively of me and so i sit in that anxiety and fear for a long time it's hard. Yeah. I think that's the discomfort I felt is that I don't want people to then assume or feel I'm unhelpful or I'm ungrateful or I am not reliable or I am not going to show up. And I put all of the onus on that in that relationship on me that mm-hmm. I'm the one responsible for making them happy. I'm the one responsible for continuing the relationship. I'm the one responsible for being good enough and worthy enough to maintain that relationship. And I, I'm kind of talking about number two here, which is you feel responsible for how other people feel, AKA codependency. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. really what that what that's referring to is codependency. Right. And I'll even equate it back to dating for a minute. So, and, and women tend to fall into this category with dating, you know, does he like me or she like me? Are they going to call me back? Are they going to want to go out again? Are they going to think I'm funny? Are they going to think I'm a good person? Are they going to want to marry me eventually? Am I worthy enough? Am I good enough? So if I do all the right things, if I act all the right ways, if I'm the perfect girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, spouse, whatever, I can make sure that the relationship stays good. 
Mm-hmm. And so people pleasing really has some undertones of, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worthy enough. Yeah. And I I had shared on my Instagram recently about an interview on We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Nadia Boltz Weber, um, who is a Lutheran pastor um, that I followed for years. And I love her so much. But she was talking kind of about this codependency of realizing that the breakups that she would experience wasn't necessarily about the person. It was about what does it mean about me if they're leaving me, that I am unlovable or that I'm not worthy. And like when we make it about if they stay, then that means that I'm worthy and lovable. Then we're not even having a relationship with that person. All that we're focused on is like keeping ourselves comfortable because we know that if they stay, that means that we're good enough instead of just being confident in how we are as people and not relying on a relationship with another person to equal that we're good enough. And I think that that's so much of what this people pleasing comes down to is if I can control and manage the relationships that I'm in and keep them happy and around, that means that I'm worthy and I'm valuable and that I'm good enough instead of being independent of those people. You took the words right out of my mouth. It's a sense of control, that I have control over the situation. And I think the important thing for us to continue to remind ourselves, because like anything, it's not, a okay, I've established this and it's a one-time fix, but their response is not your responsibility. Their response is not about you. Yeah, The change in relationship is not just about you. And I say just because obviously a relationship is a two-way street and we, we impact that dynamic individually and together, but we feel we, if we can control the situation, we can control the relationship, the situationship, as I'm learning as a new words, the situationship for those in the, like, (laughs) I guess- the young gray people. area of relationship. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sitting here with a heating pad on designed <laughs> for my neck and shoulders. I don't know if I should equate myself with the young people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to speak to all the language. You could see me now. Um, but situationships is we feel a sense of control. And I think when we don't feel that sense of control in the relationship, we feel vulnerable. But the truth is, is we're probably at our most vulnerable when we are putting that control in our own hands and then we're seeing it as the complete responsibility for its success or failure. Yeah. And we tend to focus on the failure. Yeah. And we, when we're 100% responsible, because this is, this is like actually a deep core wound of mine of like, it's all my fault, which is a very common thing to have when people experience traumatic situations and have like a lot of stuff going on there because you kind of get stuck in that kid brain of like, because all kids feel that way, like everything, they're egocentric, everything is because of me. And so I get kind of stuck in that of like, everything is my fault. Like, because when you're people pleasing, everything is your fault because you've decided to take on the responsibility of all the relationships that you are in. And if something goes wrong, You don't see anything outside of yourself that like, oh, it could actually be that there's, you know, two people involved in this relationship and it 
it's not all on the one person to manage it and like make sure that everything is okay. Yeah, it's and it's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders. Maybe that's why I need a heating pad because I Maybe do it too it is. often. <laughs> literally right? on your shoulders. And I something came up when you were talking about you don't want people to think certain things about you that you're like, what was it like not responsible or not um, like you listed out a whole bunch of different things um, that you wouldn't show up, stuff like that. But even when you say no, can you still be responsible and trustworthy and be able to show up like can those two things exist? Does it mean if you say no to this one thing that you're suddenly not responsible and not like we can't rely on you? Yes, they can simultaneously exist. And what's interesting, um, we talked about this in, I forget which episode where reflect, oh, our perspective shifting. It was our first episode about flexing a muscle. This is the same concept. It's a muscle we have to flex and doesn't feel comfortable for us. And so I actually think that you can teach people you're even more responsible, you're even more in tune, you're even more dependent when you set those boundaries because they know what to expect from you. When there's no boundary, there's no limit to what is expected of who you are and how you'll show up. And I'm pretty sure it's Brene Brown who talks about this, where I heard about it first, is that when you are living wholeheartedly, people will know that you are not saying yes to then feel resentful of them. Like in the situation that I gave an example of, like people could expect that from me that I might say yes and then be really resentful and act in a really not great manner which isn't safe for anybody. Like that's not a good that's not a good outcome for anybody. But they know then that when I do say yes, it's because I actually want to do it. And they can then know that because they know I will say no when I need to and I will say yes when I want to. And it makes for all around so much better relationship dynamics. Like if if we can all move past the discomfort of change in how things are working, then long-term, it just turns out so much better. Again, quoting our famous and um, lovely Brene Brown, clear is kind. And mm-hmm. I think we've talked about that before too. When we are clear and kind, we also create a sense of safety and security. If we even think about it from a kid's perspective, I think it's easier sometimes. I use kids as an analogy quite a bit because I think as we get older, we tend to forget Mm -hmm. that a lot of the same principles still apply. So kids thrive in boundaries. Why is that? Because it keeps them safe. They know what is okay. They know what's not okay. They know what feels good. They know what doesn't feel good. It's the same concept as adults. If we are able to create a sense of safety for ourselves in what feels good and what doesn't, we hold true to who we are and can still have relationships and connections with others that don't then overextend ourselves. Yeah, totally. And I think that it's a good example with kids too, because kids are also made to push back against boundaries 
But that doesn't mean that they're bad boundaries. Like it doesn't mean that you as the parent set a bad boundary because there is pushback from it because that's normal and natural. And it doesn't mean when you have set a boundary with somebody else that it's bad. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just is a natural thing to push back on a boundary, especially if it's something that you're not used to, like kids who are getting new boundaries, like say you decided to set a new boundary that hadn't been there before. There's going to be a lot of pushback from it. Yep, exactly. Pushback isn't bad at all. Pushback means there's opportunity for change. There's opportunity for negotiation. There's opportunity for compromise. Pushback means we can have a conversation that can meet both of our needs Mm -hmm. rather than just one. And Mm -hmm. people pleasers, I think, more so struggle with how do I set a boundary that doesn't push away? Yeah. That's the fear. Pushback means push away. Yeah. Pushback means loss of relationship. And that's like essential. I mean, all of us need relationship. But when we talked about how when you're dealing with codependency, that then that means something about you if it's loss of relationship also. So how do people build their confidence to say no when it's so hard, when you fear disappointing other people? Practice, practice, practice. Um, I know this may sound a little silly, but role play. Mm-hmm. In all seriousness, I'll go back to kids again. When I used to work with children and um, honestly, even some adults, we would practice saying those words out loud. Role play. How can I say this that feels comfortable to me while also making sure that I'm being clear to somebody else? And I do an, an exercise with adults in, in a class that I run, and the content is is kind of heavy. And we practice saying out loud some of the questions that we need to ask. And we talk about what does that feel like to say that? We talk about what would stop me from saying this? What are my fears behind it? What's the pos- best possible outcome from asking these questions? And I think that there is nothing better than practicing it in your mirror or with a trusted friend, because it's not comfortable for us. It's not common. It's not something we're already used to doing. And like anything else, you're creating muscle memory. Yeah. And something came up too, while you were talking about that of like, yeah, it's not comfortable. And like I expressed that there were many days of discomfort after setting boundaries. And I think that looking into Um, nervous system regulation practices for those experiences is really, really important because I had none of those tools at the time, zero, because I had not gone to therapy or really explored it. And so you're just sitting in this like horrible feeling. And a lot of us in those instances tend to go to our coping mechanisms, which tend to be things like alcohol or shopping or food or, you know, all those other things to try and soothe ourselves where we might have better, we might have outcomes that feel better to us long-term if we can learn how to regulate our nervous systems through that. Um, And I think that there's, I mean, there's so much information about nervous system regulation out there now versus even like five years ago. Things like, I don't know, what's your favorite thing to do when you're feeling discombobulated? Um, Well, I'll go back to something you said on a previous episode, you got to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. And that is hard to do, folks. We just want to run from them. 
And I need to compartmentalize. So in that moment, it's hard for me to stop to to self-regulate, especially when I'm angry or hurt or frustrated. And so if I remove myself and honestly, even going into another room and putting on a meditation, a calming meditation, it's guided. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about what I need to do because in that moment, I'm clearly not able to do it myself. I'm struggling. If I could, I would. And so I rely on someone else saying, here, you need to do this. I'm also more driven by someone else's expectations, if we haven't gathered that from this conversation. And so because they're counting on me, even though it's through you know a Peloton app, to follow along, I'm more inclined to follow the rules, right? Follow the example that's being set here, do this. And I will do that versus telling myself, deep breaths, slow down. I'll be like, Sam, shut up. I don't want to hear it from you. But if, you know, I've got, um, what's his name on the other end of this? Oh my goodness. Um, it will come to me. He's my favorite instructor for meditation. I will come back. We will come back to him. But okay. I do this meditation and, or the relaxing meditation. And honestly, in that separate room, in that separate space, someone else telling me what to do, that's what I do. That is such a good one. Um, I know for me, it's like, I need to physically get the feelings out because they feel so just like overwhelming. So a lot of times I will do things like just literally shake my whole body out and like jump up and down and like try to kind of help move the chemical because it's a chemical reaction that's happening inside of your body. So just trying to like move it all through, get it all out. And like sometimes, especially with like the kids, if there's stuff going on, like I'll just turn on music and be like, it is a dance party time. And they love it so much. It's good for them. It's good for me. And so those are some things that I tend to do when I'm feeling that. Because for me, sitting down to a meditation when I'm feeling those big, like anxious or angry feelings is just not going to work for me. Yeah, I rage. When I'm angry, I'll rage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I have to I have to be able to like calm the nervous system for me first. It's Ross Rayburn. That's who it mm, is. Okay. Ross Rayburn meditations, but the dancing it out is 1000% a great option because you do need to move your body out. There's a book um and it's more about burnout is the I want to say it's the title of the book is Burnout mm. and it's about physically releasing stress. It goes back to that that um fight, flight, or freeze and mm-hmm. physically needing to move your body to get those uncomfortable feelings out. And these are just tools, guys, that you can use, whatever's going to work best for you in the moment. Or it may also be certain situations require a certain coping skill that we use yeah. so yeah. that we don't just continue on the way we have been in our people-pleasing and then feel resentful and angry and exhausted later. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that was a really great overview and discussion of chatting through a lot of the different ways that people pleasing manifests in our lives and kind of how we can move through it and like try something a little bit different. So I think we're pretty much done for the day. Yes, we are. And we can always revisit these conversations too. They all tend to overlap in some way or another Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think at the core, it's about, you know, who we are. And how we decide to move through life and how we find a new and better way each day to show up. Yeah. And these are not things that are going to change overnight. This is a long-term, lots of work practice. Yes. 
still still working through it, just so you know. Even yeah. as two individuals who thrive in the mindset space, we are not perfect. We don't practice these all of the time. We try to practice what we preach, but we're human beings too. So we're just sharing the things that have worked for us that we're still working on and still finding. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We will be back again next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not intended to replace professional medical advice or mental health services. If you are in a mental health crisis, please call the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988 or 911. Did today's episode of Perspectively Yours hit the spot? It would mean the world to us if you'd show us some love with these three effortless ways to help your fave podcast thrive. First up, the most important, never miss an episode by following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Just head over to our show page, tap the plus sign and select follow. Next, leave us a shiny five-star rating and review on your podcast platform. Your feedback helps us make each episode better and better. Last but not least, share your favorite episode with a friend. The power of word of mouth is undeniable, and we would be over the moon if you spread the love about Perspectively Yours. Before we let you go, here's a fun fact. We met through Beauty Counter, our favorite clean beauty brand, and are both brand advocates. If you've been looking for safer products that actually give you results, you can get 20% off your first purchase with the code CLEANFORALL20. Don't forget to follow us each on Instagram at Ms. underscore Samantha Kehoe and Alexis.TheNourishedBeginnings. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources we mentioned. Thank you for being here. We are grateful for your support and love.